eyes. Behind her, inside in the half-light, sat her grizzled son a smile on his downy, childish face. One evening before sunset, a man came walking up the path from Delphi. There was nothing strange in this. People came that way sometimes to see their animals at pasture on the mountain. The track passed a stone's throw or so below her house. But this time something happened which surprised her greatly. The man turned off the path and began climbing the steep slope where there was no track at all. Such a thing was unknown. No one had ever left the path to come up here. Who would want to? The slope was covered with loose stones from landslides, and at times he found it difficult to advance. Perhaps he was unused to this country. From her nest she followed him with her old eyes. He came nearer, and she was able to make out his face. She did not know him, but she knew no one, no one now living. He was quite a tall man, with a strong brownish beard untrimmed and not in the fashion of this country. His cheeks were pale, quite without color, though he had to exert himself greatly to climb the hill. He was a man in the prime of life, perhaps in early middle age. When he came up to her, he made his salutation, but not in the manner of these parts. And when, having sat down on the stone bench before the house, he began speaking, slowly, and at first with some difficulty in finding words, she noted at once that he was a foreigner, and probably from very far away. This could be seen also in his look, which was heavy and old, though he himself was young. But that might be his own look, and not that of his race. He told her that he had come to Delphi to consult the oracle about something of great importance to him, but he had been turned away before he could do so. They would not let him enter the room where the seekers were assembling. There was no answer to what he asked, they told him. No oracle in the world could answer it. Dejectedly, he left the temple court and wandered at random about the city all that day. More than once he thought of leaving Delphi, where he had nothing to hope for, and of going further, somewhere, anywhere. Then, in a dirty alley in the poorest quarter of the town, he had got into conversation with an old blind man, a very old beggar, who crouched at a street corner and held out his shaking hand in the hope that someone would drop something into it. This seemed an odd thing in a street where all must have been equally poor, but he said that in earlier days he had begged in the temple court and beside the sacred way, but now he could no longer go so far. When we had begun to talk of this together, I told him of my own cares, of my long, vain wayfaring to Delphi, and of my distress because the oracle had been unable to give me an answer. He listened to me with compassion, and understood me well, though he thought it strange that there should be anything which the Delphic Oracle could not answer. You must have put hard questions, he said. But when he had thought it over, he went on reflectively, There may be one who can help you, one who can answer all that a man can ask, 
And he told me that up in the mountains there lived an old priestess of the oracle, an ancient Pythia, cursed and hated by all because she had committed a crime against God, against the temple and against God and against all sacred things. Yet she was a great and mighty sibyl. No priestess in Delphi had ever been so great, so beloved and possessed by God as she. She had prophesied with her mouth wide open, and no one had been able to endure the sight of her when she was filled with her God. His own breath had issued from her mouth, and her speech had been as wild as fiery flames, it was said, for thus did he love her. He refused to speak through anyone but her, and did so for many years. But then she had sinned against both God and man, and cast herself down into damnation. She had been driven from the city with sticks and stones, and had been cursed by all men, and, of course, by the God, by him whom she had offended. This happened in my childhood, said the old man, but although no one speaks of her any more or utters her name, she is said to be living still in the mountains whither she was driven, and I don't doubt that it is true. One who has been in such contact with the divine must find it hard to die, with such power as must yet remain within her. One in whom God has once taken up his abode, he does not forsake, though he remain only as a curse. Seek her out, and you'll surely get an answer to your questions, though it may appall you. And he pointed with his trembling hand to this mountain, and blind though he was, he pointed aright. She, to whom he had been speaking, sat motionless as she had sat throughout his tale. No change in her face revealed what might be stirring within her. Searchingly and with some surprise he gazed into the dark furrowed face, as if to read in that old book which, for all its plain script, was so difficult to decipher. It was as if it had been written in an ancient tongue which was no longer spoken. For a long time she sat silent, seemingly abstracted, withdrawn into herself. What was it that you asked, the oracle? She said at last, as if she had wakened from her musing. I asked about my destiny, he said. Your destiny? I, my destiny, my life, how it's to be, what awaits me. That's what most people ask. That's all they're curious about. What is so extraordinary in your destiny? Is it something special? Yes, it is. And he told her of a peculiar thing that had happened, an event which had scored itself so deeply into his memory that he seemed not to recall anything besides, an event which left his soul no peace, which had impelled him to come to Delphi, and now at last to her to seek enlightenment and some measure of peace. I lived happily with my young wife and my little son, he began, in the city where I was born, and I had no thought of ever leaving. I had my livelihood there, and a house left me by my father. I was not rich, but well-to-do. My life was secure and carefree, and all things seemed to prosper with me. One day, as I was standing at my door, 
I saw an unknown man dragging himself along with his cross. There was nothing extraordinary in this, nothing unusual. It often happened that men who were to be crucified were led along our street by soldiers up to the gallows place. Ours was the road to it. And there was nothing peculiar about the man himself, so far as I could see. He was pale and tired. He seemed exhausted. Because of that, no doubt, he paused and leaned against the wall of my house a little way from where I was standing. I didn't like it. What's he doing that for, I thought. If a condemned man, a man so unhappy, leans against my house, he may bring ill fortune upon it. So I told him to move on and said I didn't want him there. Then he turned toward me, and when I saw his face, I knew that this was no ordinary man, that there must be something special about him. But what it was that made me think so, I could not have said. I believe that the look on his face was not usually angry at all, but gentle and submissive. But it was not so now. It was mighty and terrible in a way that I shall never forget. Because I may not lean my head against your house, your soul shall be unblessed forever, he said. I was astonished and uneasy, and thought it somehow sinister. The soldiers simply laughed and drove him forward, for they did not want him to stand there either. They forced him on. But before he went further with his cross, he turned to me again and said menacingly, Because you denied me this, you shall suffer greater punishment than mine. You shall never die. You shall wander through this world to all eternity.